0: Genesis, if you would, chapter 6. Now, on our last uh, Sunday, uh, uh, the second meeting, Southeast put on a nautical night. Well, in that sense, it was sort of had that theme all the way through it. And I thought I'd pursue it a bit further today. Not that I'm particularly nautical, uh, but uh, I've been on a boat or two here and there. Uh, we we went on a boat to Brampton Island on our honeymoon in 1967. And, It was a very nice journey across to Brampton Island. It was uh, like a mill pond. But on the way back we caught the tail end of a cyclone and that was very different on the way back. Uh, And I won't go into any description about that because you wouldn't want to hear it but it wasn't pleasant. So um, my experiences are mixed when it comes to boating but the Lord knows a little bit about boats and so I thought I'd just pursue it. A very common, uh, well-known story here in about Noah. So we're looking at Genesis chapter 6 and verse (coughs) 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. I don't think the people saw it. They just continued on. But God sees what he sees, of course, very differently from what we might imagine ourselves and how we're traveling and how life is down on this planet. Uh, He sees a lot of stuff, which, of course, is most... um, uh, reprehensible as far as he's concerned and God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually now we just keep in mind as we're reading this we're looking at a parallel ultimately to what the world is today this was a local geographical area where this group of people and we don't know exact numbers of people involved here were involved in this sort of uh, behavior and God saw that and it was uh, not pleasant to him whatsoever. It grieved him that people would behave this way. In the, my margin, it says there about uh, the, uh, the imagination, it says not just in your mind, but also uh, the purposes and your desires. So uh, it wasn't just um, a thought or two, but what they were really hankering for and desiring to do and what they wanted to be involved in. The thoughts of his heart, it was only evil, the word of evil in the Hebrew means it comes from a word to spoil by breaking up into pieces. That's what it means. So the idea is that uh, you eventually spoil what's happening there and break it up to the point where it becomes useless. It's good for nothing now. So the Lord looked down and saw they were just breaking up his creation and they are making a mess of it. And of all the sort of principles and ideals that God had in mind, they were continually undermining. It was good for nothing now. Verse 6, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Now, that language, of course, is designed for us. It's not like the Lord is sitting there in front of his mirror crying. Um, This is the language that we can try to relate to and understand a bit, that God is upset as we might be uh, demonstrating our upsetness when we see a lot of stuff going on and disappointing us. And so he's using the language which we can sort of understand and appreciate a bit. We can understand that God is grieved by this as God could be grieved. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, and it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now we are people who believe that the flood was more localised. It doesn't bother me one way or the other, but I think from uh, the Scriptures and understanding what God was dealing with here, we, we lean towards a local flood. Uh, but keeping in mind that it's an example of what's going to happen globally, ultimately, when Jesus Christ returns, and it won't be water this time. So uh, we, we, as you read through this, you just keep that in mind. Even so, some of the terminology looks a bit like more than just a local scene. Some of the Hebrew words need to be investigated, keeping in mind that perhaps when some of the people wrote this and used some words to translate this, they already had at the back of their mind certain thoughts about what this may represent. So they used terminology that perhaps wasn't the most ideal for the circumstances. Regardless of that, it doesn't really matter. There was a group of people here that uh, were behaving inappropriately as far as God was concerned and God is not going to allow that to happen forever. He's not going to just be blindly uh, bypassing all of this stuff and just letting it happen. Ultimately, God has to bring down judgment against those who would be sinners. In the middle of all of that, God is also gracious and merciful. He's not going to wipe everybody out. Those who are obviously leaning towards him, who want to know truth and righteousness, who want to get it right, who want to serve the Lord, will find grace in his sight. So we read that in verse 8. Then in verse 9, these are the generation of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect. The word perfect there doesn't mean he was absolutely 100%. It simply means he was upright. And considering the nature of the people around about him, uh, he stood out, clearly so, as being upright and just, and he walked in the ways of God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. The Amplified Bible says desecration, infringement, outrage, assault, and lust for power. Keeping in mind, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns. And so these are the sort of things are we looking to see on the earth. You don't have to look very far. Uh, It's constantly in our face all the time. And God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold I will destroy them with the earth keeping in mind that the words for Hebrew here doesn't necessarily mean any globe at all. It means land or region or territory, so we can go through that. That's not the aim today, to identify that. What we want to identify is what was God's solution to all of this? In verse 14, make thee an ark, a boat, of gopher wood. So Noah and his family were now going to become boat builders. And uh, God was going to provide the plans. If you read on, uh, he gives the specifications the the dimensions, which I'm told, by the way, and I'm not a a sailor-type person, but I understand the dimensions of this ship are are ideal, perfect for the situation they were going to be involved in, for the floating uh, to go to the top when the water was coming down. And and you can look that up as a scientific uh, bit of information, apparently. So this was a specified vessel. We now have ways and means by which the people back then could be saved. In... Parallel to that, we have a vessel today. It's called the church, the body of Christ. In the corruption of this world, God has provided a vessel whereby we can enter in to be saved. And and that's the parallel. Uh, and sometimes this uh, ark is called the ark of safety by some people or the ark of salvation or the ark of deliverance. It's the boat by which they physically were able to enter in and uh, move uh, uh, into safety ultimately. And we're now moving into a spiritual church where we are going to be lifted up and to safety, of course, the body of Christ. One's physical, one is spiritual. But there are a lot of parallels. We do remind ourselves that uh, to get into the spiritual arc, the spiritual arc of safety, the church, you have to be inspirited, of course, for by one spirit are we all baptised or immersed or entered into or initiated into the body of Christ, the church. It's the only way. So we could look at some of the parallels, and I think you've done it before, but we can do it again, about how the ark of safety back then has a sort of the forerunner for our position. Uh, it was God's idea. The church is God's idea. Keep that in mind. It's not man's idea. Many men have uh, fiddled with it, but the concept of the church, the, the, the idea of a spirit-filled group of people, Uh, as a consequence of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, would gather together and be part of this one unit, is God's idea. It wasn't Noah's idea to build a boat. He didn't decide, you know what, I think there might be out of trouble, I think I might uh, build a boat. I mean, it would have been the last thing that anybody was thinking of doing at that particular time in history. And yet God ordained, this is what's going to happen. And it was perhaps peculiar back then, as the real church is peculiar to a lot of people today. They're used to a lot of other stuff, but they're not used to the idea of a, a spirit-filled realm where people speak in tongues, where we talk to the Lord, where we believe in creation, where we believe in answered prayer, a lot of stuff which a lot of people bypass altogether. And you know, particularly, of course, people don't want to nail it as far as speaking in tongues is concerned. So God made provision in all of these situations, all the way through the Bible, where there is judgment coming, God always makes provision for those who want to be right with God, for the righteous to find grace in his sight and to find a way of escape. This was the only way of escape. and uh, This was not Noah's idea, this was God's idea. The church is God's idea, how it going to work. And uh, we need to find grace. We need to make sure that we're w- willing to respond to him and we will find grace in his sight then. And God will provide a way for us to be entering into the church. Now, And it's God's instructions. God didn't say, well, all right, no, well, I want you to build a boat. Anything you like, just build a boat. He gave very precise instructions how the boat was to be built. Just as the church has very precise instructions how it's meant to operate. And God set it up. And therefore we honour the church. We respect the way the, the Lord has ordained the church to be. Uh, and it's God's plan. It's God's design. Uh, and you have to enter into the ark to be saved. There's no other way, uh, just like you have to enter the church to be saved. That's the only way of salvation. Uh, there's uh, no other alternatives. There are no rowboats. There are no uh, canoes. There are no rafts. There's no uh, mega-sized ocean liners either. There was one boat whether you liked it or not, whether you thought it was elaborate or not, whether you thought it was luxurious enough, that was the boat. And the only people who got saved in Noah's day were those who went into that boat. Just like when the Lord returns, the only people who are going to be saved are those who are in the church. And I don't mean coming and sitting in a meeting and we're uh, just uh, playing games. We're talking about being in the body of Christ. We're not, we're not identifying this group as distinct from uh, uh, Ballarat or Bendigo or something like that. We're talking about the whole body of Christ because the, the church is not a building, nor is it sort of the, the idea sometimes we say, oh, I'm going to church today. You can't really go to church because we are the church. You can go to a building. You can go to a church meeting. You can go to a church activity. But the body of Christ is what we are here today. And, of course, that is the overall body. But being here doesn't save you. Being part of this group doesn't save you. You've got to be not only a member of the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, you've got to walk in the Spirit, abide in the Spirit, live by the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the flesh, all the instructions in the word of God, about how to stay in the church and be safe in the church. So we're not talking about individual assemblies. We're talking about our attitude to the body of Christ generally and, of course, to Christ himself uh, and uh, how we owe our, well, our life to him, of course. So we have to make sure we do it according to his specifications then. Uh, in this ark you might look down a bit further it says in verse 16 a window shalt thou make to the ark and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above and the door of the ark shall thou set in the side thereof so there's only one door to this ark there's no other way of getting in the Lord made a point he said I am the door and anybody comes any other way is a thief and a robber in other words he's not going to get anywhere he's going to be arrested for doing the wrong thing so as far as the Lord is concerned there's only one way to enter into the body of Christ one spirit, one baptism, one Lord. This is the what the Lord has established here. So there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. No other name. You come by the door, Jesus Christ, or you don't come at all. It's as simple as that. The scribe method, of course. One window, because uh, our source of light is from above. Our source of light is Jesus Christ and his word. That's a light, a lamp unto our feet. One window. And, and and it's above. We look up. Set your affections above, the Bible says. Look up, your redemption draweth nigh. That was the message always. One door, one window. One way in and one way you're going. Up. That was the message constantly in the word of God. All outside the ark died. Except you repent and do it the Lord's way, you perish. They all perished. And of course, there are many people who look at the Bible and they say, oh, gee, it's a bit bloody and gory, isn't it, here? It's a, uh, um, people dying everywhere. Well, the Lord is interested in our obedient hearts. And He would be incredibly gracious and merciful and bountiful uh, towards us. They had their opportunity. They could have repented. How long were they hammering away at this ark? How long did they come out of their buildings or whatever they had in their tents and stuff and and see this great building called a boat coming up uh, there in their very, front of their very eyes. How many times have they they thought, oh, we better do something about this perhaps. This guy looks like he's serious. His family looks like they're serious. Maybe there is something going to happen. Maybe we should respond to this. Or we're just too busy having our life and doing our stuff, you see. They all had an opportunity. So they, they, they didn't get involved. The same thing with the church. We are here. We give out leaflets. We gave out some yesterday. There are people in Ballarat today and yesterday. Your local activities are all doing things. You're talking to people and so on. The church is before their very eyes. You're there at work. You're there at school. You're there at the play center. You're there at various places. The opportunity is always there for someone to find out about what, what, what is this ark you're building? What is this church? What is it all about? Why are you doing this? Why are you involved? Why do you go Sundays? Why are you involved Wednesdays? What 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 is your life all about? There's opportunity for people to ask the question. The Bible says, He that hungers and thirsts after righteousness shall be filled. So God set us up in various places all around the world, really, for anybody as serious to ask you. And we have an answer, of course, that goes through to the eternities. So the answer for us is, of course, we've got to be committed into the things of the God, Lord. When the Bible says we are baptised by one spirit into the body of Christ, the word baptism means immersed. We have to be immersed right in the centre. You can't hang on the outside the boat. You've got to be right in the centre of the activities. That's what the message is constantly. Uh, and uh, and we're, we're able to send an invitation to everybody. We're, we go so they might come. We're telling people that they might have the opportunity to be saved. It's important how they're travelling and we need to be concerned about them because right now they're on the outside. The people, most people you know, most people I know out there, who we cross paths with every day are outside the boat right now. They're not safe. In fact, they're going to perish. And we need to have the compassion and concern to get that invitation to them, of course. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 at the other end of the Bible, and verse 9. It says there, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus all the way through from Genesis to Revelation, of course. It's all about Jesus, and there's many parables and examples and illustrations that uh, highlight uh, Jesus Christ. And the body of Christ is highlighted, I think, by this Noah's Ark. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour, And he by the grace of God should taste death for every man, including us, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory and daughters, us. That's the ultimate aim, isn't it? To bring us to glory, a new age to come, and he wants us to be part of it. That's the message. And it says to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So we have a captain on this ship of ours, this vessel, this ark of safety, the body of Christ. We have Jesus Christ who is our captain. The word captain there is translated in the Greek prince or or author. He is the finisher and he's the originator also of our salvation. He is the captain. He, it says in Colossians, and he is the head of the body, the church. In Ephesians, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. So we have a vessel now, we've entered into the church, and hallelujah, we've got a captain. Not a captain like the one perhaps who was uh, on the Titanic, um, a captain who knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows all the icebergs, and he knows all the problems ahead of us and around us. He knows all the situations we have to deal with. We've got a captain who knows everything. Hallelujah. I looked up... Uh, uh, something on the internet, about the sort of qualities of, of a captain of a ship. It says this. And I'm sure there's lots of other ones and lots of other things you can put in there. The captain is ultimately responsible for all aspects of the operation of the ship. Safety, navigation, maintenance, cleanliness, seaworthiness, management of personnel, inventory, cargo, security, damage control, medical issues, and so on. So the captain is ultimately responsible. We have a captain, Jesus Christ, who is ultimately responsible for all of us. He set us up in his ship and he wants to look after us. That's really encouraging uh, that he wants to look after our well-being completely. It also goes on to say about this article about captains, that says, "...all persons on board the ship are under the captain's authority." I think that's true. If you step onto that ship, no matter who you are, you're now under the authority of the captain of that ship, no matter who you are. So um, the ultimate control and power and authority is the Lord's. All those who enter into the church, the body of Christ, we have got a responsibility to be under the authority and subject to Jesus Christ and to his word, of course, to his principles, to his lifestyle, his requirements, his directions, his discipline, whatever it is. It says in Matthew 7, For he, Jesus Christ, taught them as one having authority. Of course, the Son of God. How much authority can you have? He's got all authority, all power, all might. Now, we are working alongside him. I've used the term here able seamen we're meant to be in in 2nd Corinthians it says we're able ministers but we'll be able seamen today we are the crew now Jesus Christ is the captain and we're the crew on his ship as it were his vessel the church the body of Christ and uh, we've got to do all the things the Bible tells us to do for example we have to follow his commands naturally which means we need to read the book to find out the, the manual of this ship and what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be doing it that's imperative of course we're we're workers now co-workers co-laborers with christ we need to be well drilled we need to be united together you can't have a ship operating with people someone pulling the sail up someone else pulling it down someone else putting an anchor on this side someone pulling one up on that side it can't work you've got to have people in in unison they've got to be working they've got to be drilled they've got to know what they've got to do they've got to know when they've got to do it they've got to know how they've got to do it and that's that's critical otherwise you're going to sink the ship And so as far as the church is concerned, the Bible tells us he set all sorts of things in place, all sorts of people in the body of Christ for all sorts of jobs to do and they've got to be united in their cause. I read recently, only a couple of days ago, someone said a little article about united, U-N-I-T-E-D. And if you get it wrong or back to front, you get untied. U-N-T-I-E-D. So you've got to get it right otherwise you won't be united, you'll be untied. That's a little thought. I, I thought it was all right. Obviously, obviously not. Okay. I'll, I'll keep moving. So we're all meant to make our contribution. We're all meant to be part of the team, uh, working in harmony together. And we need to sort out our differences. In the Old Testament, God said, don't put the ox and the ass together because they don't work in harmony that one's got bad breath and the other one doesn't like it. One's a little bit different size and so on. Don't yoke them up together. Don't be unequally yoked, the Bible says. So there's a message to all of us about our working together and so on. Sort out our differences. In a boat, I understand, you'd be in very close quarters at times. And you really need to get on with the person that's on the bunk just just there Uh, because that's how close you might be. So when we're working together, when we're part of the body of Christ, we need to make sure we're working together and and have an appreciation and we're supportive. We have a vision of what we're doing, why we're doing it, what part we're playing and so on. Now there's an expression, and you've all heard of it, all hands on deck. It's an expression, it's meant to be a nautical expression originally. The Oxford Dictionary says, a cry or signal used on board a ship that all crew members to go on deck to help. Generally, immediately, the cry would go out. So that's what it initially meant. The Oxford Dictionary says, but today uh, it's used to indicate that the involvement or that the involvement or participation of all the team members is now required. All hands on deck. That's the message of this ship, isn't it? Of God's church. We've got a vessel, we've got a captain, We've got a crew, and the message is all hands on deck. All making a contribution, of course. Every member is important. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. We're back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, which says, Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God is concerned about each member in particular, of course, which we are here today all spirit-filled and all part of the body of Christ. And God is concerned about every single one of us. Now, if you go back a little bit to verse 13, we'll read the verse that I've quoted three times today already. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Can't get it any clearer than that how it works. Jesus Christ said, unless you're born again of the water and the spirit, you will not see or enter the kingdom of God. You can't come on board this ship any other way. You can't climb around the back and hope to get on board God's vessel some other way, as many people do making decisions for Christ, giving their heart to the Lord, making some sort of statement, signing a card, ticking a box, all sorts of ideas belonging to some church group or some organisation, doing some charitable work, whatever they feel they want to do, but somehow or other is going to get them on this boat. It won't. This is the only way to be on this boat. For the body is not one member, but many now Paul's making a point here, not so much about how we get into the boat, but what we're supposed to be doing in the boat. What, what, how, how are we supposed to conduct ourselves? It, are we significant to God? For the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Just as a natural body has all sorts of parts to it, the body of Christ has all sorts of members to it as well all sorts of ages and uh, backgrounds and cultures and abilities and capabilities and so on. Uh, oh, we're a mixed bag in God's church, not just in this group here, but across the globe. We're a mixed bag of people of all sorts of uh, nationality and races and previous cultures and uh, all sorts of abilities and so on that we can exercise in one form or another. And our, our body, our natural body, is made of all sorts of bits and some bits uh, we sort of, we like to look at. I mean, some people might sort of look at their feet, perhaps. I don't know what they do. I mean, I, I don't know about some ladies who can spend a lot of time on their toe, toenails and stuff. And, and, and mine are horrible. I mean, you want to wear socks over my feet. Um, so so some people sort of think, well, mate, well, why did he start off with the foot? Well, maybe it's the foot that always gets trampled on, isn't it? It's always the foot that's under. You're always getting getting heavy going all the time. Uh, So the Lord is saying here, you know what, no matter where you start in the body of Christ, even if you think it's not all that significant or the part you're playing isn't all that important, it is. That's the message. On this boat, every team member is important. On a ship, a a reasonable-sized ship, there are all sorts of jobs to be done, some of which are just cleaning the decks. That's what they do. Or roll up the ropes. Or sometimes they might be asked to bring the sail down. Someone else is cleaning the pots and pans in the in the g- galley. Someone else is doing, the, uh, or someone else is doing the cooking. Someone else is doing this. There's a whole range of stuff happens in it, uh, and some of those jobs people might not think. Ugh. I mean, there might be some who've got to clean up a bit of a mess when some of the sailors are not travelling all that well and uh, there's a bit of mess to be cleaned up. So uh, there's things that were not so nice, not so comely, we might say. And that's what Paul is trying to get at here. The body is a complete unit and you need everybody functioning properly in that unit. We all know what it's like in our natural bodies if we've got an ingrown toenail, as simple as that. It hurts and it annoys you and you can't help but think about it. Or maybe a chipped tooth. It's amazing how your tongue always seems to gravitate around towards that chipped tooth, and you're mindful of it. So the Bible's trying to get the message across to us. On this boat, this crew is significant, and every person plays a part. Verse uh, 16. And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? Meaning not important, not significant, not playing a vital part. Of course it is. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set for members every one of them in the body as it has pleased Him. So there, amongst us here today, even our small number of people with half of us missing, there are people who are still very talented about to be able to play musical instruments, which many of us can't. There are others who are quite uh, able to pitch in and to do a whole lot of other stuff and be out there at Sunday school teaching or elsewhere and craches and so on. So there's a lot of stuff that gets done. Some got here at 12.30 to help set up and put chairs out and do all these sort of things. Every one of those things is significant. It's not about being up here and preaching. In fact, as far as a pastor is concerned, we can cover the preaching by preaching yourself if you have to. But a lot of the stuff like... uh, uh, the mundane things of setting up and organising and being behind the scenes and helping out and so on, that's more significant and same with the natural body I mean we might look in the mirror and do a lot of effort on making sure that our face looks just absolutely wonderful and all the creams and all the stuff and we're looking pretty good but the, the, that won't be any good to us whatsoever if, if our heart conks out you know, the most prettiest face on earth and you'll look very nice in the box but that's what you'll be in the box. So we've got to give attention, of course, to things that we don't see, and you don't put them on display, do you? Or maybe some ghoulish people do have bottles of parts, but uh, most of us don't go have a mantelpiece with you know liver on it. Uh, but but we need it just the same, or a kidney, we need, or a pancreas, or whatever. We know if the bits don't work, uh, then our body doesn't work too well. We don't function too well. The ship needs the crew to all work and contribute and play their part. And it doesn't take much, I understand, for a ship to be a little haywire when one or two people decide to be a little bit mutinous and rebellious about the whole thing. So the message here is very clear, that we've got uh, a lot of things to do and we don't have to be up front to do it. In fact, quite the opposite. And even if I don't notice all the great work you're putting in, God does. And we're not doing it for me, we're doing it for God anyway. So we're we're not looking to be men-pleasers, we're looking to do it as unto the Lord. So whatever you're doing, do it as unto the Lord. If it's up front, well so be it, as unto the Lord. Not for our own glory of course. If we're up here playing, it's as unto the Lord. And we'll dress appropriately and we'll we'll do it appropriately and we'll be on time appropriately and so on as unto the Lord. Not to please somebody in charge of us but to, well, that might help too. But, but as unto the Lord, we want to make sure that the Lord is well pleased with the way we present ourselves and conduct ourselves. A lot of stuff goes unnoticed. I don't know whether you lie in bed keeping track of whether your liver's working or not, or whether your kidney's working or not, or whether the adrenaline thing is working or not. There's, a, there's a, so many parts in our body that need to be working, and they're discovering even more things. Just recently, we were just chatting yesterday, about how they've discovered part of the brain which is a connection of neurons that they didn't quite know that were there before, which helps in a lot of ways that they didn't realise helps. But the interesting thing about this section of the brain, a small section of the brain, is it's not found in chimpanzees and apes and monkeys and so on. Well, that creates a problem, because suddenly we developed, apparently, because we're supposed to come from some sort of common ancestor, and there is none that has this particular part to it. This is uniquely human. So somehow or other we managed to develop that without all this process. And the only way we could have done that is through God, surely. God put us there to make us in his own image uniquely human in that sense, to give us qualities that animals don't have that God has. Of course, we're only a very small example of that, but that's the message. So the message is for all of us, all aboard! All aboard, all hands on deck now. Let's make sure that we're all part of this great mission that we're on. And we have a common mission, aren't we? The common mission is that we need to be saved, we want to stay saved, and we want to see other people saved. That's the mission of the church. Be saved, stay saved, and get others saved. That is the overall process of what this ship is all about. It's the same in Noah. They got to get saved. They had to stay saved in the ark. You couldn't get out... Don't jump out and start swimming, whatever you do. So that's what uh, Noah and his family, all stayed in the boat. So they got themselves saved. They stayed in the boat and the invitation was for the others, come on board, there's a place of safety here. We're in the church, we're staying in the church and the invitation is come on board. Get in the church, get in your place of safety. And if ever there was an age where that cry has to go out, it surely is today. The world's in a mess. Do we have to wait for anything more? It's an absolute mess. We do not have any principles anymore. It's as simple as that. I'm not. I'm talking generally, I'm not talking about individual people, of course. So the message is clear, get on board, stay on board uh, and uh, work for others to be on board. Listen to your captain, uh, don't jump ship under any circumstances. I think some people know my thoughts about um, uh, the time when Peter walked on water. We extol the virtues of Peter and I, I might want to decry from the fact that yes, I'm pretty incredible that you jump out of a boat and start walking on water, I'm sure of that. I don't think he was meant to jump out of the boat though, that's my view. Very clearly so. I think he's meant to stay inside the boat. The only person on that day who was at risk was Peter. He was the only person at risk. And he put himself at risk by jumping out of the boat. And Jesus Christ said to him, O ye of little faith. That's an incredible thing for Jesus to say to someone who's just walked on water. Why was he of little faith? Because he jumped out of the boat. Jesus Christ had originally said to him and all the others, stay in the boat and I'll see you on the other side. That's what he said. And that's what they should have done. Stayed in the boat and waited till they got to the other side. Oh, it was going to be a bit of a rock and roll ride, no doubt about that, because the waves were beating over there, but it would have been fun. They could have just strapped themselves in on the boat and just gone, hey, and they put their hands up like they do in the, on the roller coaster rides and so on, up and down. It have been fantastic for them. They were safe. How could they be anything else but safe if Jesus said, I will see you on the other side? Guess what? They're going to be seen on the other side. And the only way they could be seen on the other side was to get to the other side. So Jesus knew they were going to get there. And Peter jumped out. I don't want to decry. That's wonderful. There's millions of sermons about Peter walking on water. Uh, And I'm not decrying any of those. Particularly, that's amazing he did that. But I think it would have been better if he just stayed in the boat. That's my view. Anyway, Isaiah 57. One thing is for certain, we're not going to copy him. Well, you can give it a go if you like. Just wear your bathers, that's all. Don't wear clothes. Isaiah 57. Well, I just want to talk a little bit about, we've got a little bit of time left, we'll talk about the, the, the waters we're going through. Uh, and they're pretty rough waters of this world, and I'll just give you, there's many examples here, and they're, they're symbolic, generally, and uh, they represent the, the turmoil of this world. Isaiah 57 and verse 19. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace be to him that is afar off, and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. So there's a message here just describing, as there are in many other places, about the way of the world. The way of the world is described like the the foaming sea, the, the mass of humanity out there just tossed to and fro with all its turmoil and turbulence and undercurrent and agitation upheaval and restlessness and so on. That's the picture the Bible gives of, of the world and here is the church uh, in the middle of all of this as the ark was in the middle of all of this water that was just destroying everything else there was the ark this place of safety and in the middle of all this is the church where everything else is being destroyed and they are destroying each other there's no doubt about that there's, there's nothing going too well at the moment the politics the religion the social st- structure financial everything is in a turmoil right this moment it talks uh, in Jude about raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. And we've got all sorts of prejudices and problems that are just cultivated uh, by our society today. And it's a mess. It's a troubled sea. So on the one hand, the Bible's using the example of, of, of the, the, the sea as an example of uh, the world generally. And then of trials and tribulations, many examples of that. But let's go to Luke chapter 8. So it involves a ship, Luke chapter 8 and verse 22. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship, that's Jesus, with his disciples, and he said unto them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. Now, this is a literal story, but it's reminding us of the fact that uh, we're in the boat with Jesus Christ. He's our captain. He's, a, he's having a little sleep. He, ne- he, ne- he never sleeps, of course. But in the story, Jesus Christ, the man, is having a little sleep. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, never sleeps nor slumbers. But he's giving us an illustration. I'm in the boat. We're going to the other side. Sit still and be happy. And uh, then suddenly the waves come. Suddenly we're confronted with trials, tribulations. Winds of time hit us. Things happen to us. People let us down. Circumstances let us down. Life lets us down. We might feel, and so we're confronted. So, so not only is the 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 water representing the the mass of humanity generally, it also can represent with with raging winds and so on the the sort of storms of life that we have to deal with. And but we've got we're in the ship now. We're not in the world. We're in the ship. They have to contend as best they can out there. But we're we're safe with Jesus Christ there. And we read there in verse 23, As they sailed, he fell asleep, and there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water... Uh, Sometimes we feel that things are raging around us, we, and we're a bit knotted up in our stomach, and we, we're feeling a bit out of sorts, and some because life's just a bit hectic, and people are letting us down, family are letting us down, children are disappointing us, and so on, whatever. Anyway, the Lord knows about it all. He just got up and he, he, he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Hallelujah! The captain's in control. Even if he looks like to us he's having a little sleep and doesn't care. In one of the translators, it says, Carest thou not that we perish? What a, what a ridiculous statement to make to the Son of God. Carest thou not that we perish? He died to save us. Of course he cares about us. We're the ones who need to get our act together, not him. And he said unto them, in verse 25, Where is your faith? And they were being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Now I'm not suggesting the Lord is a saying to us that you know we get in a boat when maybe on our honeymoon I could if I'd been in the Lord. I might have been able to say winds be still and instead of going like this and like this it might have been nice and calm. I don't think the Lord's necessarily saying that but hallelujah. But what he is saying is when I tell you what's going to happen, believe me. It came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples and he said unto them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. What, they're going to die halfway through, were they? Jesus Christ said, we're going to the other side of the lake. The other side of the lake for me is 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 the heavenly shore that we're heading towards, to the glorious future. The Lord's put us in the church. He's the captain of the church. He's the head of the church. And he said, let us now go together to the other side of the glory land I've got in store for you. Is he going to now let us down, is he? Is he going to forsake? Is he going to jump ship, is he? Is he going to fall asleep to the point where we can't uh, get anything from him anymore? We're done for. The water's overwhelming us and we're finished. Surely not. Surely not. Let's go to Psalm 107. Have I got time? We'll make time. Psalm 107. This was actually uh, uh, a psalm that uh, our seafaring man David uh, quoted on his PowerPoint presentation. Uh, and uh, all of the psalm you could read. In fact, the top of them, on my edition here, my King James Version edition of uh, uh, the it's Oxford Version, wide margin, it says, God's manifold providence in divers or different varieties of life. So it's describing here in Psalm 107 all the things that can happen in life and what's God's solution to them, God's answer, God's provision to them. I'm not going to read them all. Uh, but the message is have a look at the goodness of God in the middle of all of this and see what you might be contending with but what God is able to do for you. And part of that is a sort of this uh, seafaring uh, analogy again. Uh, going down in ships we read in verse stormy winds and so on in verse 25. And then you get down to verse 26. They mount up to the heaven. So we're talking about the stormy winds which lifts up the waves thereof. I don't know whether any of you have been in a boat that does that or not. I have a vivid memory still, even though it goes back to 1967, of hanging on desperately to the seat and to the pole next to me and daring not to move, to turn my head one little bit, not to look up or down or do anything, just sit still. But even that didn't work. And I had to go downstairs. And when you go downstairs, even if you were only half sick before you went downstairs, the nature of downstairs would finish you off completely. So you have to get upstairs as quick as you can and hang on for dear life. And the boat, literally—I'm not exactly You ask my wife. My uh, the boat was whoa, whoa. I'm, I'm even thinking, feeling a bit sick thinking about it. Uh, up and down. So here's the de- de- description here. They, verse twenty-six. They mount up to the heaven. They would go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. Now this is a vivid sort of analogy, but it's not talking really about just when you go on a honeymoon and you come on the way back and the boat does this. It's talking about life. The things that sometimes whoa, that was something out of the blue. What happened there? And suddenly a wind comes this way and suddenly this happens. Every one of us is confronted with things. Suddenly a child gets sick. Suddenly there's a a diagnosis of something that could be serious. There's that happens. Or there might be a job loss or there might be a financial debt that suddenly appears. Uh, there's all sorts of things. Suddenly, whoo, up and down we go. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits' end. How do we get out of this? And I was at my wits' end. I'm thinking, when are we ever going to get to land again? It wasn't all that long a journey, but uh, it seemed to go for days. It only went for a few, I think it might have gone for a couple of hours. I think it was half an hour to get across and two hours to get back or something. I don't know what the figures were, but I know it was a very long journey backwards to get home again. They reel to and fro, and it wits in. Then they cry unto the Lord. Well, I couldn't cry unto the Lord because I, at the stage we were being, when we were married, my family were involved in the things of the Lord when we were rebellious and they were crooked on us. They were probably praying for a cyclone to stir us up or something or other. I don't know what they were. Uh, uh, in their trouble and he bringeth them out of their distresses hallelujah he's the answer he maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still then are they glad because they be quiet so he bringeth them out into their desired haven and was it wonderful to get off that boat and just to step onto terra firma again oh I think it was Mackay did we go to Mackay was that where it was Mackay so even Mackay seemed pretty good to me at the time and this is 1967 and so just to stand there ah And there was a guy there, I, I was looking at him most of the time uh, on, on the boat and he was standing the whole time. And he was holding on to one of those poles on the boat. And, and, and he wasn't sick or anything like that. And, I, and I, I said to him, when he got I said, you know, I was looking at you and I was, I was admiring you. He said, Oh, no. He he was absolutely, I think, petrified and he he couldn't dare move, so he just hung on to that and didn't move the whole trip. Just troop. He probably was praying. I don't know what he was doing. Uh, anyway, we got there. O men, in verse 231, would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works of the children of men. The Lord is telling us here, I'm the captain of this ship and yes, there are times when you're going to go through troubled waters. You live in troubled times. Perilous times you live in. But... I'll see you through to the other end. Let's go finish up now in Revelation because our desired haven is not Mackay. Revelation 21 and verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. What a strange thing to put there in the second last chapter of the book of Revelation when we're just about into heavenly territory now and we start getting a description of it and it says no more sea. Well, what about something else? No more bananas or something. Well, why are we picked on C here? Because C is a description of this world. And in fact, let me read from Luke 21 to you from the Amplified, so you don't need to look it up. It talks about the end of the age in this world, wars and insurrections, disturbances, disorder and confusion, and upon the earth distress, trouble and anguish of nations, in bewilderment. And perplexity, without resources, left wanting, embarrassed, in doubt, not knowing which way to turn, as the roaring and of the tossing of the sea. So back in Luke 21 there, the analogy is this world is just like the roaring and the tossing of the sea, the impulsive nature of mankind, the uncertainty, uh, the, the depths of despair that people can find themselves in. And it's not surprising, therefore, the Lord is saying, "You guess what, when I return and I set you up in my new realm, no more sea, no more the way this world is, no more tum- turmoil, no more disasters like this world has produced to us. That's why it says in verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things have passed away. And he that sat upon the throne and said, Behold, sit up, take notice of this. I make all things new. Now, you can check with your Greek scholars, but this word new here is not sort of a, the latest model of uh, some Holden. That's not the word new there. This word new here means not up to date or just uh, readjusted or uh, fine-tuned. This is a new form a new structure, a new kind, a new concept, unprecedented, unheard of, inconceivably glorious, beyond the ordinary, out of this world. We're talking about something not just fine-tuning and making a little bit sleeker lined or putting a little stripe down the side of your car. We're talking about a brand-new concept altogether. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, not into the heart of man, what God has prepared for him. So the Bible's telling us here, Behold, I make all things totally different for you. Hallelujah. We've got something in store for us. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh stays in the boat, abides, endures to the end, shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. So that's what the Lord's got in mind. This is what this church, this vessel is all about, this ark of safety. He's put us in there by the Spirit. He keeps us in by the Spirit. He captains over us by His Spirit and He guides and leads us through troubled waters and circumstances. We work together as able seamen and for the Lord. We're a crew working together for the Kingdom of God now about our Father's business, occupying till He comes. And our destination, yes, our mission certainly is to stay put and to save others. But ultimately, we want to get to that desired haven. We want to see that city in reality. I can almost see that city, it says, well, we want to see it in reality. What a glorious future the Lord has in store for us. What a journey we're on. What a destination we're coming to. What an amazing concept the Lord has for us. So there's only one real lesson, isn't there, we learn. Stay on board. And all hands on deck. All the people